Let's open in prayer. Father, we come before you this, this morning, Lord, and I want to thank you, uh, Lord, for the, the time away, uh, Lord, with the men here in this church and Calvary Chapel, Clayton, and pray that you would continue, Father, that good work, Lord, that you started in our lives, Lord, that you would continue, Father, to grow this church. Lord, grow us through your word. Lord, I pray that we would Uh, Lord, this morning, have open ears to hear from you. Lord, that you would, Lord, just speak your truth into each one of our hearts. You know where we're at. You know those areas of our life that we struggle with, those areas that we need to be exhorted in and encouraged in. And Lord, I just pray that you would do that work, Lord, in us this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I... uh, We're going to step away from the Gospel of Mark this morning. We're going to be in the book of Philippians. So if you want to turn there to Philippians chapter 3, we're going to be covering verses 12 to 14. I titled this morning's message, Pressing Toward the Goal. And as we think of our walks as Christians, uh, Scripture likens our walk also to a race. Uh, It's something that this picture that we could get in our mind of each believer uh, getting into the race, running the race, and and that's really the the Christian experience. We're all in a race, so to speak. And that finish line that is set before us is heaven. The Apostle Paul, he apparently liked the races. He spoke of it, our Christian walk in that way. The day that Paul was saved on that road to Damascus, we know that he entered his race. And each one of us here this morning, if you think back to the day that you gave your life to Christ, that was the day that you entered into your race. And how many of you have ever ran a 4K or done? Raise your hand. You've been involved in a race. I know some of you, or at least one of you, got into some Sparta games here and got into a, a, a competition like that. Bike races, all the, the various kinds of races maybe that we have ourselves entered into. But for those of you that have ever ran, or ever ran a race, you know that when that that runner gets out onto that track, he sets himself up into that lane. He gets into that lane, and it's his lane, or her lane. And that person lines up on that track, puts their feet into the starting blocks, and then you see them raise their head up. They raise their head up and they're looking ahead. They're looking down their lane. And really what they're looking at is they're looking for the finish line. They're looking for where that's going to end up. They're looking towards their goal. Whatever length that run is, they're looking towards their goal. You began your competition, your race, the day that you were saved. But it wasn't competing against other Christians. We don't compete with one another. 
You see, our competition or our race, it's your own. And even if you're married, you're in a separate lane from your spouse. It's your race. It's what you've entered into the day you gave your life to Christ. And there's going to be a prize. There's going to be a reward at the end of that race. We all have a different testimony here this morning. Some of you, maybe when you gave your life to Christ, you started out of that gate running. Or maybe some of you even crawled out of the gate. I don't know. You didn't get too quick from day one. You crawled out of the gate. And maybe some of you sprinted. Maybe you just, man, you gave your life to Christ and you got in that lane and you haven't looked back since. You're running hard and you have been. And that's a good way to go, to run hard towards that finish line. But we also know that the track, we might call it the track of life, it's not always in good condition, is it? And sometimes, and I'm sure there are many runners that have gotten onto a track that was not pristine, it wasn't all manicured, and it had its potholes, it had its bumps within the track, but they were still running on it. And that again is a picture of the race that we are in as Christians. We know that there's a lot of bumps and potholes along the way in your Christian run, your Christian walk. And we're going to trip. And many of us have tripped many times. We've fallen. And some of you know what it is to, to trip up and then to get back on your feet and to start running again. And that's how gracious our Lord is towards us. He allows us to go on in life and have those times of defeat. Those times that we do get tripped up and He's gracious towards us, merciful towards us. But we also know as Christians that there's this goal that's ahead. It's it's ahead of us and, and we are to keep pressing towards it. And that goal be in heaven. Pressing towards that goal. Every day of the year, there are Christians that come to the end of that race. They come to the end of their last days. They're drawing close to that finish line every single day. They have that goal in mind. And and in a sense, some of those people come crawling to the finish line. Some of them, uh, they're they're just barely getting there. Some of them are arriving and maybe they're limping along the way. But they're there. They're on that track and they're going, but they're limping as they go. And then there's the picture that I like to see. It's that runner. You know, that runner that is stretched out, arms stretched out, looking at that finish line and everything within him or her is reaching towards that goal to cross that finish line. I think that's all the way that all of us would want to finish. In that way, in our lane. Let's read in our, in our text, chapter 3, verse 12. Paul writes this, he says, Not that I have already attained, 
where I'm already perfected, but I press on. There would be three words that you might underline. I press on. That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. There's another couple words that you might underline. Reaching forward. Verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I would underline, I press towards the goal. Pressing on in verse 12. I reach forward in verse 13. And I press towards the goal in verse 14. Paul started out in verse 4 of this chapter talking about his former, his former days before Christ. He was trusting in his religion. He was trusting in his legalism, we might say. And Paul, for many years of his life, he was a man that was self-righteous. Put a lot of stock in, in, in his own upbringing, in his own heritage, in the things that he held dear to himself. But it was really only a religion It was only a religion that he had, not a relationship that we're all called to have. It was his own righteousness that he was standing in. Paul, in this chapter, he wrote about these religious days. He said that he was a Pharisee in those days. He says in verse 3, for we are the circumcision. This is what we might say, what we are now in Christ. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit and we rejoice in Christ Jesus. And then look what he finishes with. And we have no confidence in the flesh. Have you ever found yourself putting a lot of confidence in this? It won't work when it comes to salvation. Confidence in the flesh won't do anything for you. Those are, those, that's how we should be as Christians, that we would have no confidence in the flesh. It won't save us. It won't make us righteous. It won't give us right standing before God. But look what Paul says about his past days in verse 4. He says, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh... Paul says, I more so. If anyone could, I, I would be one that could. Why? And why is Paul saying, he says, I was circumcised the eighth day. Every Jewish boy, according to the law, was circumcised on the eighth day. We read about that in Leviticus 12.3. He says, I was of the stock of Israel. And he took a lot of pride in that fact that he was a Jew. And many do that today the same way. Or in whatever religion that they hold dear to themselves. He says, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. That was one of the elite tribes. 
If you were to pick one of the tribes, that would have been one of the elite ones out of those 12 tribes of Israel. He says, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. He says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews concerning the law. In other words, I, I kept the law. As best I could, I lived up to the law and I kept the law. In fact, I was a Pharisee. That religious sect of Judaism in the day. These were the ones that really sought to keep the law and to practice the law. And by definition, that word Pharisee means the separated ones. Interesting. That's how Paul viewed himself in those days before Christ. He says, concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. The early church was being persecuted by the Apostle Paul. Concerning righteousness, which is in the law, Paul says, I was blameless, or at least in his mind he believed that he was. And that's what religion will do to you. It'll deceive you. It'll tell you you're all right. By the things that you do, by the things that you practice, you're good between you and God. That's how Paul thought in those days. He says, if anyone could have confidence in the flesh, I could. But now Paul says, when I came to know Christ, I had to abandon that confidence. I had to abandon the, 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 the confidence that I had in my flesh and the confidence that I had in my religion. And I wonder how many of us would be able to give a similar testimony here. I used to be this before I knew Christ. I, I used to be a practicing this before I knew Christ. But when I came to know Christ, I realized that all of those years and all of that religious practice that I did for so many years, it was worth nothing. Paul used his own life as an example of that kind of a person who could put confidence in himself. Instead of confidence in the Lord. And we have to be careful. We have to be careful even after you become a Christian, after you come to know Christ, that you don't revert back to putting confidence in the flesh. But now Paul gave us the goal of the Christian life. Most of us live in this life being concerned about losses. We don't like losses, do we? We don't like to lose out on things. We don't like to have losses. We like to have gains. I think that's just our, our very makeup. And then in the material world and the things that we possess, you know, financial losses don't make us happy. Financial gains, typically, we like that. We often judge our gains as blessings and our losses as curses in this life, in our humanness. Paul had a different perspective. When it came to his new relationship with Christ, he had a, a different perspective about gains and losses. Look what he says in verse 7. He says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. I would underline those. Gained to me and loss for Christ. Verse 8, Yet indeed I also count all things loss 
for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. You see, Paul and everything about his life completely changed up in that day. His perspectives were different. Those things that he held so dear to himself in his religious life, those gains to him, they were actually lost for Christ. And we should be looking at it the same way in our own lives. Those things that we strived after, that we chased after, the things that we thought were fulfilling in life, they were really lost to our account. The things that we thought were making us fulfilled and happy. And then we come to know Christ and we realize, you know what, that's all rubbish. Nothing amounts to having a personal relationship with the living God, knowing that you have been made whole and made righteous by Him. It's not anything of yourself. Paul's perspective was his losses were really his gains. The things that were gained to me, I count loss for Christ. My losses became my gain when I came to know Christ. That's how Paul thought. My own righteousness was not my own now, but it was the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. I hope we all know that. The only way that you have right standing with God is that God wants to give you His righteousness. It'll never be the righteousness of your own. Paul says, my goal and my desire in life is no longer my religion, but it's that I, look what is it, that I may know Him. That's my goal. That I might know Him and that I might know Him more. My life now can experience the power of the resurrection. That same power that, that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead is the power that God wants you and I to experience in our Christian walks. These are all gains to the Apostle Paul. All of those other things were loss for Christ. My growing pains as a Christian, I see as being conformed to His death. You know, we have to die to this. And as we die to this, we're being conformed into His image. Paul saw that with all of his suffering and all the trials and tribulations that came his way in ministry and in life, that he was being conformed to Jesus' death. My heart and my mind are set on things of heaven, Paul says, if by any means I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. If that's not the thing that really drives us in life, where all this is going to end up someday, if we're so consumed with just the things of this life here and now, getting ahead, 
making things you know be uh, easy for us to live. You know, but are we? Do we have a heavenly perspective? Do we have heaven in our in our mind's eye? Are we Christians that are heavenly minded and not earthly minded? But now in verses twelve to fourteen. Paul is going to show us how to reach the goal. Look at your Bible at verse 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. The first thing that Paul says in in verse 12 is not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected. How many of you have attained? You know that what that word means. How many of you have attained? How many of you have reached a place of perfection? Anybody want to raise their hand? Play you've obtained. You're in a state of perfection right now. I don't think that any one of us, if you did raise your hand, I would probably walk off the stage and want to come down and ask you, how'd you get there? You see, we need to see and acknowledge our sins and our failures every day. It's a daily thing, isn't it? We had this kind of discussion at the men's retreat about taking inventory and and checking ourselves and seeing where we're at. And it needs to really be a daily inventory. How do you see yourself? But let me ask you another question. When you examine yourself, what do you see? When you consider who you are and how you're walking and, and where you are, what do you see? Paul always saw himself in a place of imperfection. But he also trusted in the one who was able to bring him to perfection. You see, that's that's what we should all have our confidence in. In Philippians 1.6, a verse that every Christian should have memorized. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he that began a good work in you will complete it or perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. To have confidence in that. Confidence in the fact that what God started in you, the day you said yes to Jesus Christ, He guarantees you that He's going to complete what He starts. That's only God. That's not us. Quite often we start projects and we stop. We give up. We never complete it. I don't know how many projects I have around the house that I've started and haven't completed. But what God starts in you, He's going to finish. Not only is He going to finish it, He's going to make you perfect. We may not see that perfection now, but when you're in your glorified state, when you have your new body, when you cross that goal someday into eternity, you can be confident that what God started in you, He's going to complete it And he's going to bring it to perfection on that day. Paul then says, and because I realize that I have not already attained or have not been made perfect yet, I press on. There we go. 
we press on as believers. And to press on means to pursue something. I'm in a pursuit. It's used as a metaphor from a foot race of somebody that is speeding on earnestly. And that whole thought of just speeding on earnestly means that we make effort towards it. You see, growing as a Christian requires effort. Did you know that? It requires effort on your part, on my part. It requires your diligence on your part. Even though what God starts, He finishes. He says, but you have a part in being diligent to run your race. You have a part in what you're required to do by God. To obey, to follow, to press hard after. And that requires diligence on the part of a Christian. Keep your fingers in Philippians there, but if you can turn 29 pages to your right, you'll be in 2 Peter chapter 1. That's in my Bible anyway. You don't have to count them if you know where 2 Peter is. Turn to 2 Peter 1 and verse 1. Look what Paul, or Peter, excuse me, wrote. He says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith. That's you and I. With us by the righteousness of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. And then listen to this. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God's divine power has given you everything that you need in life for life and godliness. Isn't that wonderful? He does it. He gives us what we need to walk this life. It also says, his, as His divine power has given us things that pertain to life and godliness, it's through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which having been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. You know where those are found? Those exceedingly great and precious promises in the Word of God. You'll find them all the way through the Word of God. They pertain to you. There's something that you can grab hold of as a Christian. This is, a, this is the wonderful good news of what Christ started in you. His divine power. Those exceedingly great and precious promises. He goes on to say that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Think about that. Wrap your head around that. That you might be a partaker of His divine nature. What is His divine nature? Well, it's a lot different than ours, isn't it? And what our makeup is. What about God's divine nature? And that we become a partaker of it. You actually possess the love of God in you. It's been poured out into your hearts by the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit of God that lives and dwells inside of you. That's God's Spirit in you as an individual. And you possess that. He gives you everything that you need. That's God's part. But do we have a part? 
Peter goes on to tell us what our part is. Look at verse 5. But also for this very reason, for this reason in light of what we just read from verse 1 to 4, giving all diligence. Well, what's the word diligence mean to you? Diligence means that you make every effort. Make every effort to add to your faith virtue. That word virtue is moral excellence. We're called to be holy as Christians. We're called to live lives that are consecrated to God. To virtue, and this is like almost like we might say a string of pearls. You know, one right after the other. Look what he says. To virtue, add to your faith first virtue, moral excellence, and add to that virtue knowledge. In other words, once God makes us holy, and once God does His work, then we need to know the knowledge and have the knowledge of how to live as a Christian. You know where that's found? In the Word of God. He tells us how we're to walk. And then look at verse 6. To knowledge, self-control. We need to add to that knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. We need to persevere in it. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, look how it ends. In love. That word love there is agape. Unconditional, sacrificial love coming forth out of your life is what God ultimately wants to manifest in you. He starts the work. He puts His Holy Spirit and His love in your hearts. And He wants to ultimately manifest His love to, this, to you and to this world as you add to these things. You're growing, you're maturing in your walks with Christ. And then look at the warning, so to speak, that Paul gives following this. He says, for if these things are yours, the things he just said there, and they abound, an important word, they abound in you. In other words, they're, they're growing in you. If these things abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who, what, lacks these things, that person that lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Have you ever done that? Forgotten from where you've come from? Forgotten that past, how ugly you were in so many ways, and what you are now in Christ, that you would be short-sighted even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, verse 10, therefore, brothers and sisters, be even more diligent. You see, there's that word again. Or in other words, make every effort to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you see your part? God did all that He did in saving you. You had nothing to do with that. But you have a part in being diligent and making every effort to follow Christ to run your way, race, to walk that walk as a Christian. You have a part in it. You can't say to God, God, if you want me to walk, if you want me to run, you're going to have to make me. You know what I mean? Because I'm not going to do it. 
Well, he might do that, and he does chastise those whom he loves. But God wants us to have that desire to diligently endeavor to follow after him wholeheartedly. Now turn back to Philippians 3 in verse 12. Paul says, I press on. Again, this is the impression that we have a part in this. I press on. I make every effort. That's my part. And not towards salvation, but towards finishing my race. I make every effort towards that. As a, as a runner prepares for the race, there's a lot of work that goes into it. It's why I don't run. You know, there's a, there's a whole lot that goes in before that, before you actually get out on the track. Otherwise, you kill yourself. You know, you get off that track and you go 50 feet and you drop dead. You know, you got to condition this thing. You got to get it ready. You got to make every effort to get to that finish line. It requires something of me. I press on. I pursue with vigor. I press hard as one who is running a race. I endeavor to follow on. And and as we do that, we need God's grace. We need His mercy and His grace in our life. As we sang in that song, you know, about His grace and more grace. We need that every single day to run this race. We're called to keep pressing on. We're called to keep reaching forward like that runner would reach their arms out to keep pressing towards the goal. That's the life of a Christian. It's not easy work. It's not easy work to prepare to run. But we run towards that goal. We make that effort because we know what's coming in the end. We know what is going to be there when we cross over that finish line. The walk of a Christian should always be one of moving forward. Not walking backwards. That's backsliding. It should be one of moving forward. Not retreating or retreating even from your enemy, but making and standing your ground. And not turning back. Not turning your back. Not even looking back. You know how Lot's wife did that? How she looked back. It was turned into that pillar of salt. Because she, she looked back to those things. Have you ever found yourself doing that? Thinking, man, you know what? I gave my life to Christ and things got tough all of a sudden. All of a sudden now it's, it's, it's difficult. I remember those days, man, I just had a lot of fun. I, I, looking back on those times, man, I, I kind of long for that. And that shouldn't be the case. It's been said, it's difficult to go forward when you keep looking back. What is true physically is even more true spiritually. Don't look back. Don't long for those things of the past. Those things that really we should be ashamed of as we look back on the things that we did. When you're running a race... Have you ever seen somebody that at least is of the Olympic caliber? When they're running that race, they're not looking like this. And they're not turning around. They're, not, they're running hard. They're keeping their eyes straight and focused. They're not turning to the right and left. They're in that lane and they're going for it. 
That's how we should be. Not looking back, not seeing what's going on to the right and the left, but running hard. Why? Why should I press on? Why should I pursue as a Christian? In order that, verse 12, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. That I may lay hold, the, the authorized King James says that I may apprehend. Paul is saying here that I may lay hold of Christ. You see, that's what we are, we're, we're reaching for, that I may lay hold of Christ who first laid hold of me. When did Christ lay hold of you? When did you give your life to Christ? That's the day in which He laid hold of you. He called you by His Holy Spirit. He drew you. He spoke something into your heart and you sensed that need and you repented. You gave your life. He laid hold of you. And now we are in this race, running this race that we might lay hold of Him. How many of you have seen the game of rugby? Rugby. When we lived in Wales, that was the game of Wales, rugby. And when that player would grab hold of that ball, that rugby player would take that thing and take that ball and hold it in and be running with it, he was taking possession of that ball. And basically what he was saying to all of the other people chasing him, and wanted to knock him out and take it. it. That ball is mine. It's mine, is what he's saying. And that's how we should be. I want to lay hold of Christ. I'm running towards Him. Paul says that my goal in this life is to apprehend the one who apprehended me. That's my goal. That was, that's the Apostle Paul speaking. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, Paul said this. He says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way, Christians, that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown. You see people doing it. They, they want to get the, the gold, the, the silver, the bronze. They want to get a trophy. They want to get a ribbon. They want to get something for their effort. And there's many people that, that really get enamored with sports and getting that prize at the end of it. But it's a perishable crown. But we, as Christians, we do what we're doing because we're going to receive an imperishable crown. Have you ever had one of those trophies? I haven't. I don't even have them anymore. I don't know why I got one, but I had a trophy, maybe one or two, sports, you know. And, you know, then they get all dusty, and then after a while you get tired of seeing them on the shelf, and so you stick them in a box and you go, oh, look at someday I'll bring it out of the box or put it in the closet. And it's just there and many times it just stays there. Have you ever sold one at a yard sale? You know, the trophy, the ribbon, you know, it's all gone. It's, all, it's just perishable things. But just think of what that prize is going to be when it's given to us in that day. 
That's what we're running for. That crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, we're told, is going to give you on that day. And Paul says, it's not only to me, but also to all who love is appearing. That includes you and I today. 2,000 years later, that includes us. Paul goes on in our text in verse 13. He says, brethren, he says, I do not count or I do not regard myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I do not count myself to have apprehended. I'm not there yet. God's not done with me yet. He's not done with you yet. I'm on my course. I'm in this race. God's got a lot of work to do. But I'm going to get to the end of that finish line someday. Paul says, fellow Christians, you haven't arrived yet. You don't need to be concerned until that day, but press on towards that day. Paul says, I haven't yet grasped Him. I haven't yet been able to to grab hold of Him the same way that He grasped me the day He saved me. You see, we're all this work in progress. And, and, and it's going to be, that, it's going to be really that, that reunion day when you stand in the presence of God. Wrap your head around the thought of standing face to face with the living God. And if you really are convinced that that day's coming and that you're going to stand before the Lord in that way, that should cause us to want to run harder, to live for Him, to be right in our hearts on that day. Those who love His appearing. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.12, he says, Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You know, don't be deceived, Christians. Don't ever think that, you know what, I, 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 I'll never fall to that. I, I could never do what that person's doing. I could never go, you know. Take heed, Christians, that you don't think of yourself in that way lest you fall. You see, the only thing that holds me is Jesus Christ and me submitting to Him and yielding to Him and the work of His Spirit and to the Word of God. Those are the things that keep me in that place. It's not because I'm some super saint Christian that can say no to sin all the time. As a matter of fact, I don't say no to sin all the time and neither do you. Paul says, I make this judgment of myself. I have not yet apprehended. I'm not there yet. The goal is still ahead of me. I have not yet seen the prize that is waiting for me. But this one thing I do, I press on that I may lay hold. I'm glad that Paul says, but this one thing. Aren't you? But this one thing I do. How about if he said, but, but uh, uh, these 12 things I do. No, it's, it's one thing that I do. 
Not 12. Not a list of all these things. But this one thing that I do. Forgetting those things which are behind, I press forward towards that goal. I like that. That's simple. This one thing that I do. Forgetting those things which are behind. How many things are behind you? Think of your days before Christ. Behind. Those are the things that are behind. But here's the problem for us as Christians. We're often distracted. We're actually often derailed by the things of the past. The things that we don't forget. The things that we are still dragging along with us as Christians. And I believe that there's a lot of Christians that have this old baggage that went under the blood of Jesus Christ, they're still dragging it behind them. And it's still holding them back. The things of our past that drag you down. And and many of us could probably give testimony of some pretty horrendous things of our past. But they're not meant to drag you down. It doesn't matter what it is. Some of you have been dragging this stuff around for a long time. And really, you should have left them there at the cross the day you gave your life to Christ. Remember, Paul had a past. And he had a past that he wasn't proud of. As a matter of fact, he recounted it in his testimony. Many times he spoke of the things that he did against Christ. He wasn't happy with his past. And we don't completely forget. It's not like, you know, wouldn't it be nice that every year, you know, we just, you know, we, you clear the hard drive off? All the, the sins of this year and all the failures and all the things that we didn't do right for quiet. We just hit a button and it just wipes the hard drive clean. And we start all over again. So you see, we don't forget in our minds those things of the past, but those things do not drag us back. They don't keep us from going forward. Why? Because we're trusting in the finished work of Christ, His shed blood, what He has done in our life, the work that He's done. It gives us freedom. It gives us victory in Christ. That's the life of a Christian. A life of victory. A life of freedom. Not one of bondage. Not one of dragging along all the past. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he adds this to the end, of whom I am chief. I'm the chief of them. Paul knew his past. But why did he in such great power and boldness go forward with what right? Because he knew what he had in Christ. Christ laid hold of me, and I want to lay hold of him someday on that day. But here's the difference in Paul's life or in Paul's race. He says, this one thing that I do, forgetting those things that are behind. Not letting those past things hold us back, but going forward. Receiving His grace and His mercy every single day. The Word of God tells us His mercies are new every day. Receiving that forgiveness 
His blood continues to shit, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Did you know that your salvation has happened in the past when you gave your life to Christ? Did you know that God is saving you today from your sin? Did you know that His shed blood will even save you from your sin tomorrow and your future sin? That your salvation is seen in God's perspective as a whole thing, finally culminating in that day when you're going to have your glorified bodies, all of your past sin, your present sin, your future sin is under the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He continues to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I shared with our men at the retreat. I shared with them out of Revelation chapter 22, verse 3, where it says that this is the last chapter of the Bible, by the way. And there shall be no more curse. Whoa. Let's just stop there for a second. There shall be no more curse. You know that curse that came upon mankind and upon Adam and upon the earth and every living thing back in the fall of Adam? In heaven, at that goal, when we pass, no more curse. And it says, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. No more curse. You're not going to have a trailer full of all of your past baggage that you're going to roll up to heaven's gate with and say, do I take this into eternity? Aren't you happy? How'd you like the thought of thinking that you're going to take all of your past and have to live with it for eternity? Like we think about things now. How about being free of those things now, recognizing they were your past. It causes me to love my Lord even more. But in that day, in my glorified body, I don't think we're going to be sitting around for eternity just you know, mourning the fact of all these mess-ups that we've had in this life. No more curse. And as a matter of no more sin. No more temptation. Wouldn't it be nice? To get up every day, we won't be getting up. There was no night or day. But won't it be nice to be able to get up every day and not to have a temptation? The problem is that's not going to happen in this life. So don't get any fancy ideas that that's what we would have. We, don't, we won't have it here. Big Why? Because we're still in this. We have this inside that gives us the power for life and godly. But, it, 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 but we have to run and we have to contend and we have to do what we do until that day. He never leaves us to ourself to figure it out, to do it on our own. He will do it in you if you'll just submit to Him. Those things that are behind us should not be the things that keep us. Reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I can't wait for that. I don't know about you, but I can't wait for that day, especially as we see the day approaching. I can't wait. Everything that we get so caught up in this, in that day, those things that are behind, and I'm looking forward to those things that are ahead. Wow. No more pain in these bodies. Isn't that going to be wonderful? No more pain, 
No more suffering, no more tears, for the former things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Revelation. Verse 14. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I pursue it. I press hard after it. And, and, and when my enemy is on my, you know, I, I flee from my enemy. I stay away from those things. I'm, I'm pressing to, I want to I cross that finish line in an honorable way for my Lord. And I can't do it in my own self. Lord, you need to help me. I need your spirit. I need your power in my life. I'm going to close with uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. We read, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. That's Hebrews 11. And then you come to chapter 12 and and, and, and he's basically saying we have all these witnesses, we have all these testimonies of these men and women of faith that are, that are such great examples for us to look to. And since we're surrounded by so many great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. There it is. That weight. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, he's at the end of that race, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame, but he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's where God is today. That's where Jesus is today. He's in heaven, seated at the right hand of God waiting for that day when we're going to cross that line. And and for some of us, that might be be before the Lord comes back. Some of us might finish our race like the Apostle Paul did, where he was beheaded for his faith. And many Christians, they, they give their life. Or they just, they just pass on. But to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And we go immediately into His presence. Some of you might beat the rest of us there. But we're all going to get there. We're all going to end up in the same place. And isn't that going to be a glorious day? Just wrap your head around that. All your loved ones that have known Christ, they're there. And then you're going to be joined together in that day. Wow. I would encourage you, we're going to take communion right now, and I would encourage you during this time to do some soul search. Ask the Lord to show you if you have any baggage, past stuff that you're hanging on to that's holding you back, 
that, you, that maybe you don't even have enough faith to let it go. And maybe, you know, the enemy just keeps wanting to bring it back up to you. It's always on my mind. He keeps me revisiting that again. That you would lay those things at the foot of the cross. That's the beauty of communion. You see, communion's all about remembering. And we first remember Jesus Christ, who He was. He was all, He was the Son of Man, which speaks of His humanity. He was the Son of God, His deity. But we remember what Jesus did, don't we? In this communion. But we also remember looking ahead. We remember that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's there. And we're going to be in His presence someday. And so communion, it speaks, and and we look back, but we look inward as we're partaking of communion, but never lose sight of the fact that this table speaks of something future. It's hope. It's what's looking ahead. And as a matter of fact, that's why he said we're going to partake of this communion table until the day we're in his presence in glory. And that day, when we take of that last communion, so to speak, with him, in his presence. And maybe it'll go on for eternity. Maybe it'll be a reminder for us. I don't know what what that'll all look like. But he told us to do this until he comes back. And so in obedience, that's why we do it. It's not a ritual. It's a time to examine, time to look, time for God to mend and to heal. And that can happen for many of us here, if not all of us, in some way this morning. Lay it out before the Lord and trust that he wants to do something in you fresh right now.